If you would like to borrow a Bible this morning, would you raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible so you can follow along with us. And when you are finished, you can put that Bible back on the pew and we'll pick it up later. And hey, if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you. You can take it home with you and you can read it. If you have taken home several of our Bibles, bring them back. As you know, it's uh, September 11th, and many of you may remember where you were 10 years ago today when the events happened uh, in our country. One of the things that I remember about September 11th 10 years ago is that I was up real late into the night working on a sermon, which is very unusual um, because it was a Tuesday night, and I was pretty much cranked out one sermon in one night. Because it, it, I really sense on that day just the, the clearness of, of who God was in his sovereignty and his control was just alive to me. It's like I, I, was, I was getting it in, in the midst of the horrific tragedy and suffering. I, I was seeing so clearly the truth of, of, of who God is. And it's, 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 sometimes that happens in, in suffering. It was so clear to me. And we all can talk about times where... God just seems alive to us. We really get it. Jesus seems really close to us, and we understand. But we also have times in our lives where it's like we don't get it. Jesus feels like a a million miles away. We we feel dull in our understanding, and our our faith just feels like it's it's a mess. Things are absolutely hazy, and and we're not quite sure if... If God is real or if if, if this is all true and and, and we struggle to believe and and to pursue Jesus with passion. So even as believers, we have these struggles. We have these faith struggles where these times we really get it. And there's times where we're struggling to get it. And it's interesting that that Jesus' disciples, those uh, men who were following him in the early days, actually had some of the same struggles. You can think about the, the, the main disciple, so to speak, is the Apostle Peter. And he had this great revelation come to him that Jesus was the Messiah. It was a great proclamation that Jesus was the deliverer of God. And then basically five seconds later, he is rebuking Jesus because Jesus is speaking about his suffering and death. So on one hand, Peter gets it, and then he blows it. And it seems to be a pattern that we see in their lives consistently. In fact, we're going to see it again today. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, please turn to Matthew chapter 17. If you were just visiting us for the first time, boy, you, you came on a good day. It's, it's like a bonus day. We're going to study an entire chapter. I mean, when's the last time you even read an entire chapter of the Bible, let alone study? Study an entire chapter. This is bonus day today. So get excited. We're going to look at all of Matthew 17. We're going through the book of Matthew. We come to 17, and we're just going to kind of tie it all together here. We're not going to read through it. We typically read the passages, but this is kind of long, so we're just going to just, just jump right in and start going through it. So let's jump in, verses 1 and 2, chapter 17 of Matthew. And after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. 
and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Transfigured means that that Jesus was transformed or changed right before their eyes. And you see this in the description. It says, his face shone like the sun. And it it even affected his clothes as as they became white as light. And you're you're going, what's going on here? Well, this, this brightness is his glory. And the disciples are seeing the glory that he had with the Father before his incarnation, before he took on flesh. It's almost like his glory is, is seeping through, and it's the glory that he's going to have after his death and resurrection and, and ascension. And the disciples, these three, Peter, James, and John, they're, they're seeing the glory of Jesus. This must have been one of the biggest events in their lives. In fact, Peter mentions it later when he, when he writes uh, one of his letters. What an event to see Jesus transfigured before their eyes. And prior to this, Jesus is talking about his death and his suffering and his resurrection and talking about the the suffering and possibly death of his disciples. But but all that must have been just back here as they're seeing the glory of Jesus. Because seeing the glory of Jesus changes absolutely everything. So whatever he says to do, we're going to do it. Wherever he calls us to go, we're, we're going there. We're seeing the Son of God, He is real, He is legit, and, and they're, they're getting it. I mean, they're seeing Jesus. And you may think, well, of course, that they got the show. <laughs> they got to see the stuff. They got to see Jesus transfigured before them. Of course, they're going to follow Him. And, and you may say, well, if, if I got to see Jesus on the mountain transfigured, I'm all in. But you're saying, uh, excuse me, but I've not seen Him like that. So I'm going to make a little argument here and say that you have experienced this. If you are a believer of Jesus, in Jesus, you have experienced this. I want to share one verse with you up on the screen. It comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is a beautiful verse. You may want to memorize it sometimes. It says, For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Now, catch this. In the face of Jesus Christ. So for those of you in here who have put your faith in Jesus, the glory of God has shown in your heart in the face of Jesus. This means that before um, you became a believer, there was just darkness in your life spiritual deadness, and when God awakened you, brought you to life, he, he shined in your heart glory of the truth of Jesus Christ, where you came to believe he's God. And you came to understand he died on the cross for your sin. You came to believe you're going to bow to him as Lord. Something has significant has happened in your life. I mean, before I became a believer, I, I talk to my kids about this all the time, before I became a believer, I was not I was an evil man. I used to steal things. I used to treat uh, girls badly. I used to cuss. I was an enemy of God. If you want to see a picture of darkness, I was in darkness. But there was a time came where I heard the gospel, and something happened in the darkness of my heart, and a work and power of God that brought me alive, and I started to see glory. 
I started to see the beauty of Jesus, that he is real, that he is God. And it's like God awakened me. And if you have repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, this awakening has happened in, in, in you. And guess what? It should change everything. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus, you're alive. And it changes everything because you've seen the glory of Jesus and there's no going back to your former way of life because you've seen his glory. Well, let's keep going in verse 3. So as they've seen his glory, a couple of men show up. Verse 3, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. It's interesting that on this mountain, not only appear James and John and Jesus being changed, but Moses and Elijah are there, these, these significant men from the past. And, and you kind of wonder, why are they there? Well, I think there's a lot to say on this and a lot that's been written on this. But what we can say while they're there is that it's like God is showing the disciples there is a connection to the past. God was working through Moses. God was working through Elijah. And now here is God working through Jesus. And Jesus, by the way, is greater than Elijah and Moses. So Jesus is not some new plan of God. Jesus has been in the plan all along, and he's not some just new, new idea. He is connected to what's been happening in the past. And God's going to keep working out his plan. And obviously, Jesus is much greater than Elijah and Moses. Look at verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish... I'll make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He's like, this is great. I just want to stay up here. We're on the mountain. I'm going to stay up here. I'm going to make some tents for you and Elijah and Moses. I'm going to have this little, this little camp out here. It's going to be awesome, and let's just stay here. Peter knows that down, down below is suffering and death, and so maybe he's thinking about a workaround. Let's, let's come up with a workaround plan. But while Peter is still speaking, God the Father interrupts. And look what God the Father says. Verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So the Father is affirming his love for the Son. He is pleased with his Son, and he says to Peter and the rest, Listen to him. Peter, stop thinking about alternative plans about suffering and death and listen to Jesus when he speaks about his own suffering and death and resurrection. Listen to Jesus. I mean, if you need more, more of a clear word to listen to Jesus, they got it. On the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. Moses and Elijah are there. A voice comes from heaven and says, listen to Jesus. You better listen. And you would think that that would just totally overhaul Peter's life. Because when the father speaks and says, listen to my son, you better listen. Peter must have had this plan where he was going to go along with Jesus and Jesus would become greater and greater and Peter would become greater and greater and try to avoid suffering. But Peter has to listen to Jesus, change the way he's thinking. And I think that is a good word for us as the, the brightness of God's glory has shown in our dark hearts and we are now alive. We must listen to Jesus. And sometimes this listening to Jesus will overhaul our plans and our lives. And I know there may be someone you hear, you once in your life, you, you repented of your sins and you, you started following Christ and you've kind of been disrupted recently. 
you've been listening to the, the voices of, of other people in this world, or you've been listening to the voices of yourself in your own uh, wayward heart, the word to you this morning is to listen to Jesus Christ. Listen to him when he says about your relationships. Listen to him when he says about your money. Listen to him to what he says about how you're to treat your enemies. Listen to him about how he says you're supposed to spend your time. Because you've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Yeah, listen to him. He is Lord. He is the king. Listen to him. Keep going. It's time to come back down the mountain. Verse 6. When disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Yeah, me too. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. So Moses and Elijah are gone. It's time for Jesus to face the cross alone. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Isn't that interesting? You just see the greatest thing you've ever seen, and Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody. Like, what's the, why not? You're like, why? Because they need to wait. Because what the disciples understand right now is incomplete. They've got to wait for after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because the disciples still got a kind of a skewed view of Jesus, that he's going to be this deliverer. Maybe they have this concept of this political deliverance. They need to wait till Jesus dies on the cross for sinners, and then he raises victorious later, because there's got to be suffering that comes before the glory. And if we have a gospel message that only speaks of glory and does not speak of suffering, then it makes no sense. If, we, if the message that we're sharing with people that we love, and maybe if the message that you've heard is believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven. What does that mean? Believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven? I, well, I definitely want to go to heaven. I want the glory. Well, then just believe in Jesus. That message makes no sense if you don't have the cross. And so you've got to speak to the cross, speak of the cross. And when you start talking about the cross, you've got to explain, well, Jesus died for sinners. And you've got to explain, we're all are sinners. And if we trust in Christ to forgive us from our sins, then we will be accepted by the Father, and we will experience the glory forever and ever. But do not just speak of glory. Speak of the cross, the suffering and death of Jesus, and then also speak of his victorious resurrection and his glorious reign forever. Keep the two together. The disciples, don't talk yet. You don't understand. There's more to come. But us, we know the big picture. We can speak of the suffering on the cross and the glorious resurrection and the rain. Well, let's continue. Verse 10, they're coming down the mountain. And while they're coming down, the disciples have a question. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? So they saw Elijah on the mountain, and they're thinking, wow, this reminds us of something. The teacher of the day said that Elijah, from the book of Malachi, must come before the Messiah would break forth. Jesus answers them. Look at verse 11 through 13. He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. 
So the Elijah that Jesus is referring to is not the Elijah we just saw on the mountain, but he's talking about the Elijah-like figure, John the Baptist, who was a forerunner to Christ and got his head chopped off. And he's saying, what happened in the realm of John the Baptist is coming my way, for I will also suffer and die. And then it says very clearly that then the disciples understood. I like that. They're starting to gain understanding. Oh, we're starting to get it. We're starting to see. Oh, he's talking about John the Baptist. I like that. I love it when the disciples start to have insight. I, I love it when it happens in my life. Oh, yeah, I get it. So they're up on the mountain. Wow. They see the transfiguration of Jesus. They see the glory. They see Moses. They see Elijah. They hear the voice from the Father. They're coming down. They're starting to get it. They're starting to understand. They're seeing how John the Baptist ties into all this. This has got to be a high point for the disciples. But then things turn so quickly, as they do for us. We can be going from such a high of getting it, understanding, and then we tank. Things turn bad. Watch what happens. Verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, so they're down the mountain, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now, if I was Peter, James, and John, and this is the first thing I heard when I got down the mountain, I'd be like, excuse me? Can we just go back up? Because I know where this is going. Let's just go on back up to the glory. I don't want to mess with this faithlessness stuff. Because they came down, and a boy is suffering uh, terribly, and a, a demon's involved, and the disciples can't do anything. They've healed before. They've cast out demons before. But in this case, they're failing miserably. And Jesus sees it. And he is just, he's just emotionally upset, and it seems like he's angry. Look, look what Jesus says, verse 17. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. So he's just, oh, he's, just, he's, he's going off. And, and I really think his disciples are included in this faithless generation. I mean, just think about it. Jesus sent them out with power and authority to heal and to cast out demons. And right now they are not able to heal and they are not casting out demons. And the reason is their lack of faith. And so Jesus steps in and brings restoration. Verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Jesus takes control of the situation. He says, the great son of man, son of God, gets it done. But the disciples want to know, okay, how come we couldn't do it this time? We did it before. Why didn't it work? Verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. 
oh, this is really good. So they could not cast out the demon because of their lack of faith. And just because they had the authority to cast out the demon did not mean that faith was unnecessary. And just because they pulled it off before doesn't mean they could pull it off again. See, what they're thinking is, is we've healed before, we cast out demons before, it's going to be automatic the second time, third, fourth, fifth time around. And so they just assumed that this power would always be at their disposal. And, and specifically, we understand from the, from the Gospel of Mark, they did not pray. They didn't pray. They just came into the situation involving a demon, involving sickness, and, and they didn't pray. And we'll often see that faithlessness is expressed in prayerlessness. If you want to see a faithless person, you're going to see one who's not dependent, who's not praying. And that's what we see right now in the lives of the disciples. And I see the connection to us, how the first time around, we can be so dependent on God and doing something. Um, just, just, just think about, many of you have had things in your life where you're so dependent on the Lord. You say, Lord, I cannot do this. If you don't come through, it will absolutely fail. And, and you just cry out for mercy. You cry out for grace. You cry out for his power to come through. And then God comes through, and you're like, God, you're so awesome. And then the second time around, you say things like, well, I've done this before. And since I've done it before, then I must be able to pull it off again. I mean, just, just think about it. When, when some of you are, are I, mean, I think some of the freshmen are, are starting to roll in right now for Northwestern, and chances are you're excited, you're nervous, maybe a little scared. Um, I remember when I, I started seminary at Dallas, I was excited, nervous, scared to death. And I remember waking up every morning saying, God, I cannot do this. This is scary. You've got to pull this off. Please, 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 this is ridiculously hard. I can't do this. And then God pulls it off. But as time goes on, you may find yourself less dependent upon God. I mean, if you've ever had a kid, for those of you who have a kid, you, you, you totally get this. You have your first kid, and you're like, what are we supposed to do with that? <sighs> I have no idea what to do with that. What do you think we should do? I don't know. And so you're crying out to God, God, help us. We don't know what to do. I mean, how do you even change a diaper? I mean, when do you give them food? I mean, how do you figure this out? God, help us keep them alive. And it's like a big deal. You're so dependent. And then as time goes on, you start having some more. You're like, we're pros. <laughs> we can handle this. <laughs> we, can, we can pull this off. And, and, and the same thing and sadly goes in, in our struggles with sin. We all struggle with something, Right? And we feel our desperation that we want victory over certain areas of our life. And we're, God, I am a sinner. I, I want to repent. Give me power to overcome this. Give me victory. And we gain victory. And we assume that because we've gained victory in the past by God's power, that that same victory is going to be there in the future by just pulling it off on our own and leaving prayer aside. And when we start dropping prayer and we start dropping dependence, we wonder why we're having a lot of problems. We kind of wonder why things are not going so well as they, they have in the past. And I, and I think the answer is simply, we just thought we could handle it. We just thought we could do it on our own. We just thought we didn't need God anymore. And God's saying, no, no, you need me. Even if your faith is so small, 
even if it's small as a mustard seed. It doesn't have to be some huge faith. Even if it's really small, you can pull off the impossible because it's not about your great faith. It's about a great God. That's what he's calling us to, dependence. Come on, keep praying. Keep depending on me. Keep seeing that you are desperate. You need me desperately. Stay with me. Stay in me. Abide in me. Let us never think that we're competent Christians. Never think that. Never think that. Let's keep going. Disciples, they got to, oh, we get it. Yeah, okay. Jesus just explained to them dependence, dependence, dependence. And you think, okay, we get it. Verse 22. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, he keeps, he keeps saying this, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. Have you ever learned in a, maybe a secular Bible class that it was an accident that Jesus was killed? I mean, that wasn't the intention. It's like he came here to be nice or something, and then bam, he got killed. No, Jesus, he, he, this is a plan. He keeps telling his disciples, I will die. I will die, and then I will rise. It's, a, it's the plan. And it's, it's supposed to be a good plan, and the disciples are supposed to get on board and get it, but it says that they are distressed. <laughs> they still don't get it. They are distressed. They get it, and then they don't. And then we end on such an unusual event. For those of you who um, are familiar with the Bible, you may have totally forgot about this last story. It's very interesting. Verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? So these are uh, collectors of a tax called the temple tax. It's a tax that would pretty much keep the temple running. It was collected from all those who were Jews throughout Israel. So if you were over 20 years old, you were paid this tax according to Old Testament regulation. It's from Exodus 30, 11 through 16. So Peter's like, well, why yes, we do pay that tax. Verse 25, he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take tax or, or toll? From their sons or from others? So Peter here, uh, Jesus hears this conversation between Peter and the tax collector. And so he uses this conversation to teach Peter. He wants Peter to listen to him. He's going to teach him. And he says, okay, Peter, the kings of the earth, where do they get their money? Did the kings get their money from their kids? their sons, or do they get their money from others? And so Peter's uh, pretty smart, right? And he understands that the kids are exempt from the tax, and it's others that pay it. Verse 26, and when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Wow. Do you remember that story? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? 
It's a, a fishing story of sorts. Stick out your line, first fish you catch, open it up. There's going to be enough money in there for your tax and for my tax. So what's going on here? Well, who's the king in this story? Well, God the Father's the king. He's, he's, he's in charge. He rules over the temple. And, and who's the son in this story? Well the, well, the son is Jesus Christ. And everybody who is connected with Jesus are exempt from this tax because he says the sons are free. So why would Jesus and the disciples be free from paying this tax? Well, because Jesus is about to die on the cross. And when Jesus dies on the cross to make atonement for sin, you only need one sacrifice, and that's sufficient. We don't need to keep up the temple sacrifices day after day after day. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. So Jesus and the sons, uh, everybody connected with him, are exempt from paying the temple tax. They don't have to pay it. There's no, there's no obligation. But, Jesus says, however, not to give offense to them. And they love the Jewish people. They, they love them, and they don't want to do things, obviously, to offend them because Jesus is going to do plenty to uh, offend later on. And he doesn't want to cause a scene over this issue. He doesn't want to make a big issue out of something that is very, very small. So he says, okay, we're going to serve the Jewish people, and we're going to pay this tax, even though we're exempt, even though we don't have to, we're going to serve them and pay this tax. So F- Peter goes fishing, catches a fish, takes it out, pays the tax in order not to cause offense. Now think about, we just studied a whole entire chapter. We started with glory, and we end up all the way down to a mundane matter of paying taxes in order to serve people. And in the middle, we talk about faith of pulling off the impossibility. And through it all, what we're trying to say is, look, we need to listen to Christ. We need to listen to our Lord. We need to listen to the one who is exalted. And we need to listen to him in the big things in our life. And I know that some of you have big things that have happened in your life. In fact, those of you, there there are some sitting here right now because God has called you to this Chicago, Evanston area for this time in your life. You prayed about it. Uh, Maybe you, you applied to a lot of schools. You got in. This is a big deal. This is a big thing that is happening in your life that has finally come to fruition. You are here that God has revealed it to you, that you need to be here for this season in your life. And during this season of life, you need to pull off big things that he has in plan for you. He has big plans for you. And he wants you to be abiding in him, staying in him, and allowing him to pull off these, these miracles in your life. And that, that will come through dependence and prayer. So these are the big things, right? We want to listen to Christ and the big things. And some of you are here because you've done just that. But then there's going to be the small, daily, nitty-gritty, mundane issue of taxes. Not really taxes. Basically serving others in love. There's going to be the small, annoying stuff of just waking up, living with your family, taking care of your family each day, uh, of living with people in your, in your dorm every day who are just loud and obnoxious. Not you, but other people. There'll just be that, that daily grind, small stuff. And you, and you may think, I can handle this. No, no. It's even that small stuff, too, where there needs to be that, that dependence, that dependence upon God and prayer and that listening to Jesus where, where you're saying, okay, God, I know you're faithful in the big stuff, 
But I need you to be faithful in this small stuff that I deal with every single day. And one of the things you need, you might not believe it, but this is what you need. You need to surround yourself with other people who get it. You've got to put yourself in a community with other brothers and sisters who believe the gospel. Because there will be days and they will come where you'll say to yourself, this is hard. I'm not sure I get it. I'm not sure I understand. And you'll need someone else to come along and say, hey, today I'm really getting it. <laughs> today I totally understand. And let me give you the truth of Jesus from, from his word because you need it right now. And next week when I'm struggling, you do the same to me. And in our church, we, we have these groups. We call them ethos communities. And we want to get together and we live in community. And we want to say, okay, let me challenge you to pull off the impossible. You might not think that you can, but I'm going to encourage you by God's grace to depend upon him to pull off the impossible. But we also want to get together and say, let me encourage you to pull off the practical everyday stuff. You might not think that you can get up tomorrow and deal with the same issues you need to deal with. But I'm going to encourage you from God's word that you can. And so we need each other. So understanding the gospel and getting it and following Jesus is not something we just do as individuals. It's something we do as a group. We do it as a church. We do it as a body. So if you're here in, in Evanston and you just moved here, do not live an isolated life. You don't have to end up going to this church. That is totally fine. Come see me. I'll recommend some, um, some other great churches to you. But please get to be a part of a church. Get in a body. Get with a group where you're not just attending on Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here. Praise God, okay? I'm glad you're here. But not just Sunday morning. Get with other believers during the week that can sharpen you and encourage you because there will come a time where you're going to be struggling and you're going to have some pretty iffy faith and you're going to need someone to come alongside of you and encourage you and build you up and point you to the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I am, I am just praising you that you have revealed the glory of Jesus to us as Jesus' face shone like the sun to the three disciples, the, the face of Christ and his glory of God, that we, we see him, that you've made him alive in our dark hearts, and we embrace him by faith, and it changes everything. And so, Lord, even, even some friends here today, brothers and sisters here today who are, who are struggling to understand, even maybe some here for the first time who, who are trying to decide whether they're going to follow Christ or not, I just ask you to reveal your truth to them, that you would awaken them, that you would shine your glory in their hearts so they can embrace the gospel of Jesus. Just do a work in us, Lord, where we would believe and we would step out in these big, huge things that you're calling us to and also step out in the small, daily grind of serving others, but keep us dependent, keep us praying, keep us relying upon you and trusting in you because we can't do it. We cannot do it. We cannot pull it off. We cannot pull off this life. We need you. There's some in here who are suffering so much right now. They need you. They have no answers. They have no solution. I just ask that you would reveal yourself to them, your power to them, come through for them. 
And for all of us, Lord, if, if maybe we're having some great time in our lives, maybe we're in a time of smooth sailing, Lord, but I just ask that we would not pull away from you because we need you just as desperately. So, Lord Jesus, we praise you. We praise you for who you are and being a part of our life. In your name we pray. Amen.